Zeros, as the newly organized section came to be known and which was now under Bond's command, consisted of highly trained men and women who could act as a troubleshooting group, dealing with cases concerning breach of international law and treaties which had a bearing on intelligence and security matters. Two Zeros could be invited into a case by either the intelligence or security services, or even the police. They were answerable not to their old chief, M, but to a watch committee, dubbed Microglobe One which consisted of the chiefs of both the intelligence and security services, their deputies, a senior commissioner of police, and a new government minister who held the ambiguous title of Minister of Related Home and Foreign Affairs, an idiot title which had come in for much ribaldry from the press. Nobody had missed the fact that this relatively small office was basically run by the government for the government. The double O section was not a non-partisan organization, like the intelligence and security services, divorced from the centre of political power. Bond smiled sheepishly. You're right there, Frederica. He held her close, his face tilted as if to kiss her. You have enjoyed this bit of extra expensive luxury, though, haven't you? Of course I have. You made a good choice, James. Wouldn't mind doing this for a honeymoon. I even quite enjoyed the little set, too, this evening, quite like the old days. This last remark delivered with a twinkling smile. Talking about the old days, I think we can find more excitement in our stateroom. Hmm, she nodded enthusiastically. Bond and Flicker were just turning away, heading for their stateroom, when the ship shuddered and lifted as the explosion ripped through the metal plates on her starboard side. The deck behind them tilted violently, and Bond swore as his feet slid sideways, knocking him off balance, Flicker falling almost on top of him. Did the earth move for you too? she half choked. What the hell was that? Bond was on his feet, one hand holding the rail. Lord knows, come on. The ship was listing badly to starboard, and the old well-known scent of explosives was easily recognizable. By now the ship's siren was emitting the short series of blasts signaling abandoned ship, calling all passengers to their boat stations, a drill which had been carefully rehearsed as they left Miami two weeks before. The engines had stopped, but it was not easy to adjust to the slanting deck. Flicker threw off her shoes as they crabbed along, making slow progress towards their stateroom on the port side. A disembodied voice was giving instructions through the ship's communication system, and there was a background of cries edged with panic. As they came to the long row of stateroom doors and large, curtained, oblong windows set in the superstructure, they could see other passengers trying to keep upright on the slanting surface. The deck was bathed in light from the emergency floods which had been turned on within seconds of the explosion. Beside the first door, an elderly man was trying to assist his wife, who was sprawled on the deck, wailing in miserable alarm. Bond went to her immediately, telling the husband to get the life jackets from his stateroom and indicating that Flicker should do the same for them. The elderly woman had obviously damaged her arm, probably broken it, and a moment later two of the ship's officers appeared, banging on the stateroom doors and calling for all passengers to muster by the boat station. Bond was called to assist one of the crew members hacking at a stateroom door, where they feared the occupants were somehow trapped, frozen in terror, as well they might be, for Caribbean Prince was listing even more violently. As he moved to help yet another passenger, he saw a deadly flicker of fire coming from the forward companionway. "'Get to the lifeboats!' he yelled, reaching for the nearest extinguisher, banging the nozzle against one of the stanchions and directing the foam down into the fierce flames which reached upwards like terrible claws. Another of the ship's officers joined him in a battle they were rapidly losing. 
He crabbed his way aft and dragged another extinguisher to the companionway, once more pouring foam down onto the flames, hearing, in the background, the sound of the lifeboats being lowered. At the same time he was aware of people shouting to him, telling him to get off the ship, but he was already throwing the empty extinguisher to one side and moving for it to find a third. He had gone scarcely two steps when he heard a great whoosh and felt the heat on his back. As he turned, he saw the officer who had been beside him attacking the fire was enveloped in flames now gushing from below decks. The man had become a screaming, walking torch, fighting his way towards the ship's rails, but failing before he could get to them. Bond flung his jacket off and leaped towards the doomed man, beating at the fire with the once elegant dinner jacket, but it was too late. The flames had eaten away at the man's body and his screams had stopped. Bond himself was now starting to feel the effects of the flame and smoke. His breathing was laboured, and he knew that if he stayed on board there was a distinct possibility of the smoke and heat overcoming him. He lunged towards the ship's listing rail, climbed over and leaped clear into the...